ED ECMO episode number 10, Sequencing Incorporation of Ultrasound into ECBR. Welcome again, everybody, to another episode of the edecmo.org podcast. I'm sitting here with Zach Shiner, and today we are going to talk about the incorporation of ultrasound into the process of eCPR. Good day, Zach Shiner. Joe, how, how you doing? doing? Good. So um, this episode is based on a voicemail that we received from Justin Cook. And Justin is an ED doctor in Portland, Oregon, who has a, a high interest in using ultrasound during the course of his resuscitations. And he asked a great question, and that was, how do you incorporate ultrasound into the process of performing eCPR? And there's no better way than to listen to Justin's actual voicemail. Hey, my name is Justin Cook. I'm an ED physician in Portland, Oregon, and I just listened to a handful of your podcasts, and I'm totally infatuated with what you guys are doing. And I had a bunch of questions. So here's one of them, which is kind of a messy one. But the question involves your use of ultrasound. So I think um, I'm, I'm a kind of an ultrasound junkie, and when I do those types of resuscitations that you're talking about, I'm kind of avidly looking at the heart and maybe doing some other studies with the ultrasound to try and figure out the cause of the person's arrest. So do they have a tamponade? Do they have a big RV, which might suggest that they've had a big PE? You know, maybe I do a fast exam, a little aorta or some other stuff, depending on my clinical suspicion. But there's all this difficulty in the sequencing of the timing of doing that. And I don't know if anyone's really talked about how you use ultrasounds in the sequencing of, of a resuscitation like that and what specific exams that you think are most valuable. And then um, I guess the second part of this messy question is it seems like you guys are clearly prioritizing the, diet, the procedural part of ultrasound in this, meaning the placement of these venous and arterial catheters. And my, my guess is that you're prioritizing doing those before you do any diagnostic things with the ultrasound, unless you somehow have an extra provider and an extra ultrasound machine. And I imagine if you do those lines quickly enough, then it's almost a good point. But I think the practical idea of trying to put those lines in in a matter of a minute or two uh, seems unreasonably fast to me, but maybe if you practice it, you guys can do that. Anyway, as I said, a rather involved and messy question, but um, love to hear your thoughts on this, and I'm totally uh, amazed by what you guys are doing and inspired. Thanks again. So first, Justin, thank you so much for sending in that voicemail. It really does um, help us out. And you know, having these sort of questions makes it more clear uh, what kind of stuff we're not covering and, and, and gives us some guidance into what you guys are looking for. So, Zach, first of all, Justin asked some really good questions about ultrasound and how do we incorporate that into the ECR, ECPR process. And First of all, we do incorporate ultrasound into almost every one of these cases, uh, but why don't you talk us through some of the the nuances of how we do that? Sure, Joe. So I, I think that was a very good question. I think the concept of, of incorporating now ECMO, this complicated procedure, into something that's already complicated with cardiac arrest and trying to fit ultrasound in there, all of these things can just think like, how do we put this together in some fashion? And I think his question, his first part of his question points to the idea of, are we, are we not having enough time or enough ultrasound to be able to go around? And I think that, that while it's a good question, in reality, it doesn't play out that way. 
meaning the ultrasound component of putting the line in, put it, getting that arterial line, getting that venous line, is such a small fraction of the time to cannulate up and, and do all the other steps that are involved with putting in the catheters that the amount of time that you're using the ultrasound machine for the vessels is small. And so in our experience, while there's only one ultrasound in the room, we're limited by docs just like every other community hospital, the reality is that usually we have more than ample time to use the ultrasound for other diagnostic things. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Zach, walk me through this then. So a patient comes into the ER, they get transferred from the medic gurney over to our hospital gurney. We have a doctor running the code and then we've got our line doc, right? So the line doc has right now the ultrasound probe, usually the linear array probe in one hand and a big needle in the other with the idea of gaining IV access. And usually we're going after the artery first. So patient comes into your ER, you're the line doc, kind of walk us through. You're going to go after which vessel? Definitely going after the artery first. Now, that's the ideal scenario. We never have an ideal scenario. We try and make it as, as perfect as possible. But you know, each of these each of these cases is going to be a different story. So I guess the question becomes, who's going first? Is, are we going to do the diagnostic first, or are we going to do the line first? Clearly, in our in our examples, we're going for the line first. But this is a this is a, a small area of time. We're talking like two minutes, maybe, that the use of the ultrasound machine at most for that, that femoral artery line. Well, even less, right? So if you get the tip of your line or your, your needle into that arterial vessel, what are you doing with your left hand that you, that's holding that ultrasound probe? You're placing that ultrasound probe back down into your sterile field while you're dilating up or putting in your five French or nine French cordis or whatever it is you're putting into that vessel at the time. That allows the freedom of that probe to be used by somebody else temporarily. So what will happen in our facility is I will put that probe down and I am now putting a wire into the um, femoral artery. And while I'm doing that, if we're right at about that two-minute point where we're doing a pulse check, the doctor who's running the code may choose to switch over quickly to the curved array probe and take a quick look at the heart or the IVC or, or what have you. Um, your experience? Exactly the same, yeah. So I, I think that probe goes down quickly. We then can take a look and use it for whatever other procedures we want to look at, namely the heart. And we've never run into a problem, I don't think, where the ultrasound becomes the bottleneck. It's usually one guy doing a procedure, finishing the procedure without the ultrasound probe while another guy's doing a diagnostic, and then you can come back and use that ultrasound again to then go after the next vessel you're going after, be it the femoral artery or femoral vein. I, I think an important concept here also is just in picturing where how we set up our room. I think we've talked about this already on EDECMO, yeah. but um, our ultrasound is put on the if you're looking into the room, it's on the left-hand side of the bed or the right-hand side of the patient. And so in that position, it's ideal for the line doc to be able to look at the vessels in the right groin, but it's also ideal to look at the heart. So the other doctor can just reach over, grab that probe, put it right on the heart, and there's no movement of the ultrasound screen. There's no movement of the machine. You can leave it in the exact same place. And we also have uh, one extra luxury in that the linear array probe and the curved array probe can be switched on the machine. You don't have to physically or mechanically switch it. So we have that luxury of being able to push a button and it switches to the other ultrasound probe. So the non-sterile curved array probe will be used for diagnostics while the sterile linear array probe can be kept in the sterile field. Exactly. All right, so there's a second component here that I think we should talk about, and that's this idea of 
using the ultrasound probe for, for all of the examinations. So you're talking about whether we should do an aorta, whether we should do the IVC, whether we should look for a pneumothorax, whether we should look at the heart. And I think our experience in these arrests is that we synthesize information. We put information about the patient that we know already and do a limited study. We're not doing every single ultrasound on each of these patients. For example, if we have a patient that we think is having a STEMI or a heart, a heart issue, we're probably putting it on the heart. We're probably looking for tamponade just to, to rule out a dissection, and we're probably going to look for some the walls to see make sure that there is A, uh, not cardiac standstill, and B, that, that if you do put it on there and you see this, this great squeeze that maybe, hey, maybe this patient does have a pulse. Maybe this patient does have a blood pressure, and I'm just not feeling it because I didn't check in the right place or because they're too obese. So what you're saying is we are not taking a formal sequenced approach to doing our ultrasounds. We're doing it piecemeal or a la carte. So there's several algorithms out there, the rush algorithm, for example. And in a patient who is in undifferentiated shock, I might go about that sequenced rush exam. But if somebody has it comes into the ER in arrest, pulseless, then your differential narrows quite a bit. And you can base your differential and therefore what you're going to do next based on the patient. So to give you an example, uh, you know, Ralph, one of our patients was a 59 year old guy who had, you know, he had the Levine sign. He had his fist over his chest. He had ST elevation in the field and then he arrested in V-fib arrest. Well, that's not hemorrhage into the belly. That's not uh, pericardial, probably not pericardial tamponade. It's probably not a pneumothorax. That's a guy who has a obstructed coronary vessel. In that scenario, our use of ultrasound was focused on the access of the vessels. However, there was the aortic dissection case, and this is a guy who's 70-plus years old who has tearing chest pain going through to his back and then arrests, but his electrical rhythm shows a narrow complex rhythm at 180 beats a minute but no pulse. Well, that's not probably a blocked coronary. That's either he's bleeding someplace or he's got pericardial tamponade. So in that particular case, I chose to go to the diagnostics first, looking at the belly for blood and then looking around the heart, and indeed this guy ended up having pericardial tamponade. So we treated that first and then went back and gained access uh, to um, to get the patient set up for ECMO. Great examples. And then just to put the third in, and then there, Annie, our last one. So PE, we, put, we could put the ultrasound on, see a dilated RV, and take a look. I mean, if the patient has symptoms and signs consistent with certain diagnoses, you should go there first. Now, that doesn't mean that we you know we're completely eliminating ultrasound, but uh, for some patients, but for the most part, I don't look in the belly on every 40-year-old that has a cardiac arrest. Uh, if I think they're having a bleeding, then then I might put a look down there, but for the most part, we are using ultrasound in a specific uh, situ- situation where we can look for specific problems. Yeah, great points. So let's then segue into uh, talking about a couple of tips yeah, for tips. Uh, for using ultrasound and then for gaining uh, access into the femoral vessels. So you had a couple of tips for us, Zach. Sure. So the bane of our existence is arterial cannulation. I mean, that's just the bottom line. That That is our rate-limiting step. If we can get the artery, that is fantastic. And so I guess the first point here is, and this is not trying to be master of the obvious, but get it on the first stick if you can. Because once you get a hematoma in there, it is a big problem. Using the ultrasound machine, it becomes more problematic trying to see the vessel, and then trying to, to cannulate it um, becomes more problematic. So take time on that first time you put the, the needle into the skin that you get it. 
Because if you can do that, you can just save yourself so much hassle. And let me make two points on that as well. Our vascular surgeons will tell you that you do multiple sticks into that artery and that creates damage and that damage ends up having resulting in some morbidity down the road and bleeding problems and all that kind of stuff. So that's number one is damage. Number two is that once you stick the artery, a lot of times if you miss and you go back in, you might be putting the tip of that needle into hematoma, drawing that back and thinking you're in the vessel and your wire won't go in. So, Zach, your point is really well made. Look at the vessel on ultrasound. See if you can pick out the artery and stick it the first time. Careful to put your wire in and get that wire in the very first time. All right, tip number two is use a backboard. Use a backboard under the pelvis. It raises the hips. It allows those vessels to be more exposed. And our experience in using this on the arterial cannulation is it really makes it a lot easier. Totally agree. Okay, so tip number three, and this was taught to us by one of our cardiologists uh, who does a lot of intervention, and that's uh, we were addressing the femoral vessels, the femoral artery, way too low. And so we were making the mistake of accidentally or inadvertently cannulating the SFA, the superficial femoral artery, not the common. And two problems happen there is number one, the SFA, the diameter of the SFA won't accept the full-sized cannulas that we need for ECMO. And number two is that that SFA then connects with the common and ends up turning, and there's a there's a bend in the vessels there that also creates a, a risk for backwalling the vessel. So the tip here is find the inguinal ligament and go right at the inguinal ligament. Probability is that you're going to be in the common and not the SFA. Caveat to that one is you're going high, you're going up at the inguinal ligament, but you also want to start lateral. And so if you start lateral and go medial, if you just picture the anatomy, you are now following the track of the vessel more closely. Your needle is following the track of the iliac artery. And so as you go along that vessel, you're going to have A, a higher chance of cannulating, but B, when you start getting that massive cannula that you're going to put into that artery, you're going to track along the artery rather than fighting with the artery. And so start lateral, go medial at an angle that's near... um, parallel to the skin if you can, so that you can get right in line with that arterial vessel. Fantastic. Can we sum sum up today's uh, discussion? Okay, so point number one, we do these things in parallel, not series, meaning the ultrasound probe can go back and forth between the line dock and the code dock, and we can, you click at the heart and at the vessels in with minimal delay. Number two is that the process of using either diagnostic or Uh, procedural ultrasound is patient-based. So you decide which is more important at the time. In most situations, you're going to be dealing with an adult cardiac arrest, in which case the the procedural components can be more important, gaining IV access and and arterial access, uh, and then the diagnosis comes second. But tailor that to your patient. Tip number three is all the different ways that you can cannulate. So raise the hips using a backboard. Uh, Try to access vessels directly at the inguinal ligament. And finally, try and hit it the first time. Exactly. Okay, Zach. So to wrap this up, wanted to thank Justin Cook for sending in that great question. If you have a question or comment, give us a call at 470-ED-ECMO-1. That's 470-333-2661. Or hop on over to edecmo.org slash 10 and leave us your questions and comments. On behalf of Dr. Scott Weingart and Zach Shiner, this is Joe Belezzo for the ED ECMO podcast, signing out.